Hello, you are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Life Series, Part 2, by Tattoo Laura on AO3. Rating, General Audiences. Chapter 30, Warped Cosmology. He let her sleep, disappearing at dawn for a run, then sneaking quietly about the apartment, showering, eating, dressing, leaving again, this time with a note stating he'd be back by noon, or before or after, depending on sun angles and snow cone sale prices. She found said note around 8.45 a.m. and promptly returned to bed, amused by how amused she was in her present situation. She never woke up in his bed alone, with his note stating where he was, and she sure as hell never crawled back into his bed to stretch luxuriously, surrounded by molderness and wrinkled sheets, head nestled perfectly in the pillows. She studied his ceiling, then his walls, the windows, curtains, blinds, dresser, mirror, shelves, shoes, and map. She was also naked. That was possibly the best part. She was naked and warm and cozy and had absolutely nowhere to go and nothing to do. And she was in Mulder's bed. It was enough to send her rolling to her side, grinning into dented pillow like a college girl who had just spent her first night in her boyfriend's apartment. She was too damn old for that feeling, but there it was, fluttering her chest, quaking her insides, wondering when he'd return and if he'd jump back in beside her. Shutting her eyes, she pictured him, sliding towards her, naked thighs pressing into hers, chest to back, lips to neck, hand to clit face buried in the pillow for very different, sound-deadening reasons. Yeah, she was waiting for him to get back, to take care of a few things. And she discovered that most of her recent nosebleeds came a few minutes after she did. Showered, dressed, bed made, apartment cleaned, lunch debated, trash out, doctor's appointment set. She settled down to check her work email allowing one little slice of reality to intrude into an otherwise self-contained perfection. She was not pleased with the amount in her inbox, and setting about deleting crap after crap, she only stopped when she heard the front door open. Turning in the office chair, which creaked with every degree, she saw a solemn face, any hint of mirth wiped clean. What happened? Skinner called. She dropped him at the airport an hour later, Her ticket, not until the following evening, after her appointment. No, you are not canceling. I don't care how much you fight me, you are not canceling. Relenting quickly, not wanting to forego her appointment any more than he did. I'll fly out tomorrow evening, okay? And she kissed him goodbye. Apartment to plane service. I'll let you know when I land. Tugging on his ear lightly. You better. Once he disappeared into the bowels of the airport, she drove off quickly, oddly empty inside at the unexpected parting and equally unexpected free afternoon and evening. Heavy debate happened between returning to Mulder's apartment, going to Maggie's to collect their things, going to work, or going to her own apartment, a place she'd barely seen in a good month or so. Cleaning orgy at her apartment won out, the dust a fine layer, the sense of abandonment acute the reeking nightmare of rotting hell from her garbage grinder, heavy in its revulsion. She'd stopped or had Mulder stop to get her mail, but never needing to get beyond the mailbox in the lobby, neither had smelled. 
Once she'd inspected with flashlight and hesitating fingers, the small chunk of chicken skin wedged to the side of the disposal. Face wrinkled in disgust. She retrieved it, bagged it, washed her hands, emptied the fridge, and immediately took out the trash. Next, windows opened, baking soda poured and grinder run. She moved on to the rest of the apartment, wondering why, every time Mulder went somewhere without her, she cleaned. It took a few hours to work through things, dinner break included, but soon enough, her apartment was spotless, empty and just a tad lonely. She'd been surrounded by children, Mulder, mother, and colleagues for weeks now, and the stilled silence made her restless for contact, conversation, rescue from her own twisting thoughts. Maggie for the win, she could hear Mulder saying in her head. Arriving unannounced at her mother's, she found several cars in and around the driveway, making her way in, wondering if she ought to have called first. Mom? Her mother's voice drifted from the kitchen. Honey, we're back here. She found her way to the kitchen, dropping off shoes and bag on the way, spying Frohickey first, then Jack and Charlie, the biggest surprise being Skinner, in t-shirt and jeans, drinking a beer and in deep conversation with buyers. It was enough to stop her in her tracks and, honest to God, shake her head in confusion. Delaying her hello a moment, she finally returned to the warped cosmology of present-day kitchen. Hi, what's, what's going on? Smiling as her daughter attempted to smooth entrance. Melvin had some things he promised to show Jake, so he and John came by for dinner, along with your brother and nephew. She saw Scully's eyes flip momentarily to Skinner, and she continued. And Walter needed another home-cooked meal, so I decided to feed them all. I would have called, but I didn't know when Fox was flying out. For no good reason, she blushed. The discussion of her and Mulder floating out there, common and every day at the dinner table with friends and family carrying on their business, without even a hiccup in the conversation. Wondering what the hell had happened to her world, she pulled up a chair, joining the fray, spending the next two hours in family familiarity. Eventually hugging her brother and nephew goodbye, then... More awkwardly for Hickey and Byers, she was left with her mother and Skinner. She watched them both standing at the front door, waiting for the gunmen to pull away from the curb. They were an awkward tall and small pair, her mother still balancing on crutches and boots, her boss with his hand friendly on her elbow, keeping her upright, the set looking, somehow, in some parallel universe, like they were supposed to be there, doing that exact thing at that exact time. All the time. She stared for too long, apparently, because suddenly they were there, looking at her. Maggie smiling, Skinner wondering, Scully dismissing outlandish ideas and poppycock notions, as her grandmother used to say. Honey? Scully gave her standard, I'm good smile. Yeah, sorry, just lost track of time for a minute. Turning on her heel, I'll go start the dishes. Maggie clumped after her, Skinner following behind. You don't have to do that. I can get them tomorrow. Han already on faucet. I don't mind. Calling to her boss. Walter, grab a towel. Back to Walter, I see, as he retrieved the dish towel to begin drying. Dry them well, Walter, or Mom will make you wash them again. Running a tight ship there, Maggie? Settling at the counter on a stool, Maggie reached for a stray cookie. With four kids, it was a tight ship or no ship, and no ship meant chaos. The silence hung only for a minute before Maggie broke it again. Dana, what doctor's appointment do you have tomorrow? 
Sidelong look at Skinner, who trained his gaze out the window, holding on to a shred of innocence, however falsely, given he knew she knew he spilled the beans about why she hadn't gone with her partner. Had he been Mulder, she would have swung her leg up and kicked him in the rear end. Now, just promise not to get nervous, please, all right? Dana, that is the silliest thing to tell someone and you know it. Now talk. My nose has bled a few more times and Mulder made me promise to go back to the doctor. I made the appointment before Skinner, Walter, glancing at him. It really is awkward not to know which to call you now. Looking back at her mother, she continued, called Mulder, so Mulder told me to stay and fly out tomorrow after the appointment. Luckily, he knows the sheriff and such out in Phoenix, so he'll have help until I get there. Mulder told you to do something? Skinner looked quite surprised, figuring Mulder would be dead if he ever told her to do anything. I know. I'm shocked I didn't kill him on the spot. Bouncing half a smile from Skinner to her mother, things will be fine, but I'd like to get to the bottom of this. I have a few ideas what it might be, and I'll take a look at the MRI myself as well. Maggie kept her motherly panic and clenched muscles to herself, exuding calm where no calm existed at present. Would you like company? You can pick me up and I can go with you. Knowing her mother and knowing the panic therein, nodded. I'd like that. Thanks. I have the scan at 7 a.m., but I'll come by and pick you up for the appointment around 3. It's nearly 9 now. You should go home and get to bed if you want to be on time. Once a mom, always a mom, regardless of age, stature, and profession of children, and she adored it. I'll head out in a few minutes. Just want to finish this and get some of my stuff from upstairs. Skinner finished his chore a moment after Scully then. I should be going as well. Looking at Scully. You're not the only one who has somewhere to be at 7 a.m. tomorrow. Naturally, Maggie asked where, and unnaturally, Skinner answered, an oddness in his voice conveying the nature of his life, a life where no one asked anything because there was no one to do the asking. Scully recognized the familiar tone as well, having heard it from Mulder for the first year of their partnership, when she would inquire about his weekend or the new pile of books that appeared on the corner of his desk. The rustiness of voice, the stilted words trying to form a proper, conversational sentence. She hugged him when she left, leaving him to put his shoes on while she headed out into the night. Chapter 31. The Madness of Punch. MRI taken, fish fed, email answered, thumbs twiddled, Mulder phoned, brain picked by aforementioned phone call, groceries shopped for and mother retrieved. They headed to the appointment. An hour later, they settled in the car, quiet for a moment before Maggie spoke. Amusement lacing every word that followed. So, basically, you have polyps in your sinuses, and vigorous sex will break the blood vessels in your nasal cavity. This was possibly worse than when she innocently asked her mother, after hearing Bill talk to one of his friends, what 69ing was. I should have left you in the car. Oh no, dear. Then I would have nothing to share at the card party Thursday. Don't make me make you walk home. Maggie moved her hand to Scully's arm, squeezing it tightly. Honey, believe me when I say I am overjoyed to hear that the worst things you have are fatty growths and too much sex. Moving on, she clicked her seatbelt. Now, do you think we have time for milkshakes before you need to leave for the airport? Key and ignition, dignity thrown out the window. 
Scully grinned the grin of someone with fatty growths and too much sex. Plenty of time. Mulder collapsed into goffing giggles that left him gasping for air. Oh, good God. Shit, I can't breathe. I would have given almost anything to have seen that. She shoved his feet over to make room so she could sit on the already creaking bed. It was an experience, but who really cares, as long as that's what it is. I'll get the polyps taken care of when we get back, and we'll just have to have less vessel-breaking sex in the future. This sent him right back into laughter, the likes of which finally had her putting her hand over his mouth, trying to get him to shut up, given it was after 11 p.m. local time, and they were going to get thrown out of the dump that was Meadow Lodge Suites, drive up, sleep in, get out, if they didn't quiet down yawning while she waited for him to calm. By the way, I like that you didn't even attempt to get two rooms, then lie about sharing. Skinner isn't an idiot. He'll keep it quiet, though. And Dennis down in Billion has been asking us for years, so he'll shut up as well. Why waste money when we don't have to? Then, why didn't we stay at a better hotel, with all this money we're going to save? Mulder looked around the aesthetically unappealing mustard yellow decor. What? You don't like this? Moving to pull on pajamas. Just once. You're going to let me book the hotel. Once dressed, Mulder watching intently the whole 30-second process, she returned to the bed. Give me the five-minute rundown, please. Case done by the following Monday afternoon. Skinner shipped them to Wyoming, mosquitoes the size of Scully, eating her alive while they tramped the outskirts of Yellowstone, looking for a bank robber attempting to hide in the woods. At least this time, Mulder didn't mention a nice trip to the forest. As an aside, they traveled over the Old Faithful and shared a pizza in the view of the geyser. Mulder, for what it was worth, snapping a picture of the top of the spout so he could show people how tall it was. Scully looked at him until he cracked. What? I just want to see how many people give me that look before they either laugh me into oblivion or gently correct me in what they hope is the nicest voice possible. You're special, Mulder. You know that? Wringing his right arm around her neck, he smiled as he kissed her temple. Just because I've got you. And suddenly it was the end of July. Skinner finally letting them home after varying degrees of cases and assholes and scary type fellows. Walking into Mulder's apartment, he dropped their bags to the ground and turned to her. It's Thursday, Scully. It is Thursday. You know what Thursday is. The day after Wednesday, last I checked. He could give her the look like nobody's business, and she loved it. I need some punch. Shaking her head, she moved towards the bathroom. Call mom and see when the festivities are happening. And he did, and it was good. In less than an hour after quick shower together and some general fooling around, which they had chosen not to do while on cases, they pulled up to Maggie's. Mulder rushing up the walk and inside, leaving Scully behind to lock the car and be amused. She found him breathing deeply the scent of homemade cooking and motherly love, grinning like the proverbial idiot. Maggie was already walking slowly towards the pair, boots gone, braces on, crutches present. Mulder hugged her the moment he could, Scully following soon after. How are the ankles? Looking at her daughter, it feels strange and I'm nervous without the boots, but the end is in sight and that's something. All moving into the kitchen, the ladies greeted them, as if returning from a three-month-long expedition. Betty going as far as declaring how much they'd grown since they last saw them. Scully hugged her. Mulder needs punch. With a grin. 
We already have two glasses ready and places for you at the table. Mulder studied the seating arrangements. Why are we not next to each other? Janet piping in as she shuffled Roswell cards courtesy of Mulder's kitschy souvenir binge on vacation. Because, from what I recall, the punch makes her floppy and we need someone who can handle their liquor to catch her, pointing the deck at him. That, my friend, is not you. He really couldn't argue. Scully was asleep on the table by 9.18 p.m., head resting comfortably on the wood surface, the game happening around her, Lillian tucking her hair out of the way whenever it drifted across the plain area. Mulder, on the other hand, somehow managed to hold total punch annihilation at bay, even though total inebriation still occurred. His plan of one gulp of water for every two sips of punch failing miserably. His tongue was blue as midnight, which he continually shared roughly every five minutes, and Betsy, beside him, had to keep gently nudging his cards closer to his chest so the entire table at least couldn't see them. When that round had finished, she turned to him. Fox, would you like some more pie? With an enthusiastic nod, he moved to get it himself, but Maggie held his arm while Betty retrieved the dessert. Thanking everyone at the table for their part in the pie presentation, he took his first bite, waving his fork in Maggie's direction. She makes the best pies. Maggie caught the fork before it went into her eye, returning it and the attached hand to the table. Janet made this one. Then Janet makes the best pies, too. Another bite later. Scully doesn't like pie. I don't understand. I mean, she keeps trying pies, but she just doesn't like them. I've tried her with apple pie and cherry pie and peach pie and pumpkin pie and chocolate pie, and I mean, my God, the amount of pie I've wasted on that woman is astonishing. Peanut butter pie and blueberry pie, and every time, she takes a bite and looks like she's going to die, and then slides over to me to finish. Turning towards Maggie again with the fork. What did you do to her as a child? Did you force feed her rhubarb pie or mincemeat pie or something? How could you raise a kid who doesn't like pie? Maggie tried to answer, defend her dessert choices for the past 34 years, but never got past taking in a breath before he plowed ahead, readdressing the table. Scully's prone head in the air in general. I love pie, any kind of pie. My sister Sam used to make pretend pie, and she always knew I'd eat it, because she called it pie. She served it up in her tea set, made me sit in that damn little chair and scoop up forkfuls of fake pie. At least she served fake iced tea with it, so that was something. She would line up all her stuffed animals and dolls and just go down the line, feeding everybody pretend pie and pretend cookies and fake cake. Once she made a pretend pot roast for us, but then took it away because she said she'd accidentally burn it, and it tasted funny. Taking a deeper swig of his punch, she stopped having tea parties about a year before she disappeared. But even on that last day, that afternoon, before we had to fight about the TV and before she floated in the air, she made a real pie for me. She made it with Oreos. She smashed up and pressed into a pie pan and put frosting on as filling. She cut it and served it and brought me a glass of iced tea and told me she'd make me real pies from now on because she was going to be a chef and learn how to make all the pies for real so she'd always have something I'd like to eat. The table right down the line, Maggie, Janet, Lillian, Betty, Ellie, and Ruth, all had to fight various stages of size and sympathy, all wanting to hug Mulder tightly, all wanting to make the life of their fox better. 
He didn't notice any of it, fork feeding himself another mouthful. I think she would have been a good cook. She loved reading cookbooks. She'd get up on the stool when our mother was gone and study the buttons and dials on the stove, look inside the oven, make me explain to her how the gas to the burners worked. She was irritating as hell sometimes. But for a little sister, she's not too bad. No one corrected his present tense usage for his long-gone sibling, but Ellie quietly scooted his cup away as he continued. I think that when Scully and I have a kid, I'll buy her a tea set and explain the stove to her, feed her all kinds of pretend pie, and see if maybe she wants to be a chef. Aiming for the third time at an astonished Maggie, you'll have to teach her how to make meatloaf and pie and lasagna, but swinging the fork around to Betty, you will not be teaching her how to make the punch. You will make the punch and I will drink the punch, but even when she gets to be 40 or 80 years old, she will never be old enough to see the punch. Looking around at the women, he grinned, a Bluetooth smile. Why are we not playing? Did I win? Glancing from the fork in his hand to the near-empty plate in front of him. I like pie. Twenty minutes later, and after another piece of pie, sans diatribe, Mulder gave in to annihilation, entire body drooping slowly against Betty, his last words being, I should get Scully home to bed. Betty, supporting his dead weight admirably, gestured for assistance, and soon, Fox and Dana were both snoring peacefully on the table. Maggie took them both in, her glance sliding between them, then to her cohorts. How should we get them somewhere to sleep for the night? Studying the situation, Ellie suggested they start with Mulder. It took all of them to get him up, move him, pull down the sheets on the adjacent bedroom, lay him down, set in hopefully unnecessary wastebasket by the side of the mattress, be amused by his arms searching for Scully. Returning to the kitchen, they expected to move Scully next, but instead found her sitting up in her chair, tears evident on her cheeks. The saddest look on her face they'd ever seen. Maggie held still on her crutches. Dana? Scully sniffed hard, swiping her cheeks but not answering until Maggie asked when she'd woken up, if everything was okay. To which she finally responded, I woke up when you asked him if he wanted pie. The ladies had a concrete enough vague notion of Scully's personal life, complete with abduction and fertility and gunshot scars, to collectively and quietly gather bags and shoes, calling hush goodbyes while Scully sat there, guilt-laden, at having chased away her mother's friends with her insanity. Once the front door shut and Maggie returned to her, Scully waited for the inevitable, what's wrong? but instead received a gentle hand to her back in a quiet, Did you know he wanted to have a daughter with you? Chapter 32. Advice. Leaning, she let her heavy head loll forward onto her crossed arms, looking sideways at Maggie through wide-open eyes. It's taken me so long to get used to the idea of not having kids that I can't let myself dwell on any type of what-if And one night I was stupid and let him, and he pulled me in and I went blindly and willingly, glowering into the tabletop. It was just after everything, the day he kicked you out, seeing Maggie nod, and I had to autopsy three kids that day, and the conversation snowballed, and we were there. We were in that damn fantasy and I didn't stop him fast enough, and I lost it completely. I'm so sorry, honey. 
What's worse is he offered to pay for trying in vitro, and it's all I can do to not think about it all day, every damn day. Maggie, not-so-famous scully face crunch of hard and fast thinking, parking itself on her continence for several long seconds, placed a hand on her daughter's back and curving the other arm to the table, settled her own head down to look scully in the eye. Then why don't you do it? Those were the last six words she'd been expecting to hear. What? Why don't you try it? Talk about it with Fox and give it a chance. She knew her child better than her child ever dreamed. I think you have to. Whispering now, what if it doesn't work? Then it doesn't work. You know why this has been constantly on your mind? Because you want it to work. And the only comfort you get is knowing it's all still a possibility out there in the universe. If you try and it fails, you don't have that option. The problem is, it's also your agony because you are scared that it will fail. Hushing Scully just as she took a breath to protest. Remember, if you do it and it fails, you will have at least tried. You won't have that what if, as you call it, to die over. You will be able to tell yourself you did everything you could and it wasn't meant to be. Instead of, I can't try it because it might not work. Might not and what if will damage you far more than anything else. Another hard sniff later. I've had too much alcohol for this conversation. Betty cut the recipe in half. You only had half a glass. You still have half of that half left. And you filled the cup full of ice. You are more sober than I am. And I could dance a tango on these crutches, if necessary, without missing a beat. So no. You have not had too much alcohol for this conversation. Thumbing towards the snoring molder. He probably hasn't either, but he had a damn sight more than you. Are you saying I should go in there and wake him up and tell him to get out his checkbook? We're going to try to make a baby? Accepting the bluntness with the lateness of the hour, she nodded. Good in theory, but probably best executed after he slept longer than 20 minutes and Betty's concoction is fully out of his system. The world shifted upright again. Balance achieved a motherly banter. Smiling, Scully set back up. Are you tired? Not really. Would you like to go out and get another milkshake with me? Midnight ice cream solved all kinds of things, and when it didn't, it soothed the savage truth long enough to let the party's concern relax into quiet. New traditions are good, so yes, I would love to go for a milkshake with you. She crawled in beside Mulder a little after 3 a.m., milkshake turning into random talk of the universe with the owner of the all-night diner, two neighborhoods over. Settling her head beside his, she kissed his cheek, breathing a hope into the night, her words, I want to have a baby with you, drifting via unconscious ear into the soul, a small smile creasing his face as he whispered a fast asleep, I love you back. 5 a.m. right on the nose, just as Scully was cruising to decent, dead sleep, eyeballs roaming as they surveyed her dreams, rim cycles rejuvenating body, mind, soul, tired limbs, scratchy throat, tense muscles. He woke up. And her with him, hands on arm, shaking her gently. Scully, Scully, get up. Cracking a harsh groan into her pillow, she ignored him as best she could, turning her head pushing her hand fruitlessly against him, squeezing her eyes shut tighter, desperate to return to dreamland, right freaking now. 
Did you say last night that you wanted to have a kid with me? Seriously, how the hell did he do that? It wasn't the first time, and it wouldn't be the last, that it took him two hours to two days to process something she had said. But right now, she wished he'd be quiet, and not too polite to tell him that. She followed up her maybe with, Now shut your eyes and go back to sleep before I smother you with a pillow. Whatever. He could take on a morning sleep-deprived Scully with hands tied behind his back and mouth full of crunchy peanut butter. Scooting closer, he lowered his voice. Gentle movements and humming words in her ear. Want to start right now? Okay, that got her. A surprised chuckle eliminated any hope of sleep for the moment. I'd like to brush my teeth first if that's okay. Maybe not be in my mother's house while she's once again mobile and probably 12 feet away in the kitchen making breakfast as we speak. Smacking his lips together and tasting stale blue punch. I agree on the whole teeth thing and raise you a glass of mouthwash. Why does punch leave an aftertaste of dead cat and rotting tuna fish but tastes so good going down? I imagine if Betty ever told you she'd have to kill you and I'd prefer you not dead and all. Mulder dragged himself upright. Then, discreetly shifting jeans, shirt, and scratching his head a few times before scrubbing his face awake. You really did say that, though, right? About having a baby? Stretching across the mattress, cat-like in her mewling sounds as she twisted joints and overextend muscles to mush. I heard your pie talk last night, as did everyone else, and you told them about how you were going to teach our daughter to cook. Plowing through, even as she watched his face speed through several emotions, Landia nervously worried, sadly scared. I thought too much, let that fucking one tear happen, and Mom saw it, and we talked, and she set me straight about a few things. And yes, I really did say it. And yes, I'm serious. There was an inordinate amount of ands in that sentence, and how early can you call the doctor? Scully shut her eyes again, hand to forehead. Maybe we can wait until the sun comes up, when doctors typically allow people to call them. Mulder, having no idea it was seriously only 5-10 a.m., moved to sheepish and apologetic. Shit, I'm sorry. It feels later, and so much has happened since we woke up. I lost track of time. Patting the mattress beside her. Would you just come back and lay down, please? I don't think I'm going to fall back to sleep, but let's pretend, all right? Hide in the world of normal for a while. He grinned. He flopped. He stared, first at her, and then when she swatted him, at the wall behind her head. No more drinking. My boys need to be primed and sober and know which way to swim in the Petri dish. You'll probably have to get the polyps taken care of before we can do anything, though, because if it works, you probably shouldn't be bleeding everywhere. Although, the sex won't be as vigorous. Can you hear the quotes? You still shouldn't be bleeding everywhere regardless. Aesthetic isn't good for a baby anyways, so yeah, you'll have to get that done first. I wonder what else I can do to give us better odds. Should I eat more kale or something? Green things. Spanish is healthy, right? I mean, it's disgusting, but I'll eat it if it'll... She shut him down with a hand over his mouth, muffling whatever inane sentences were about to follow. Shh. Just shh. For now, okay? Can you promise to shh? Because if you can't, I'm going to kick you out and lock the door. The yes deer rang through her closed fingers, and he went stealth, shutting his eyes, and dreaming of alternate timeline futures that may finally become reality while he listened to her breathing even out, her heartbeat under his fingers, slowing as she slept. 
If you like this story and would like to contribute, you can do so by going to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash audio fanfic pod. As a patron, you are granted early access to one new story of your choosing per month. Thank you for listening. And remember, the stories are out there.